Blog Talk Radio. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Verge. I'll be one of your hosts, Reggie Yinger. I'll be joined by our other host, Zach Spedden, here in a minute. Uh, We return this week to discuss the Baltimore Orioles minor league system, everything from prospects to, uh, I guess you could say, the lesser-known guys. And this week we have a ton of information to go over. Uh, We're going to start with Zach's article uh, that went up on the website today, Baltimore or last week, I guess, Baltimore Sports and Life, uh, the Orioles' top 15 prospects here as we uh, approach the halfway mark of the season, uh, the most responsible for the lack of the talent in the system. And then also we'll get to a little bit of draft talk, which is coming up here in about a week, the uh, June amateur draft. So right now I'm going to go ahead and bring in Zach. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good. And I know we've been off for, uh, let's say, a month or so, but um, there's been a lot uh, to go over anywhere from, you know, Trey Mancini's um, promotion and uh, to Triple A finally, and also covering um, a lot of the uh, the bus from Norfolk to Baltimore, whether it be Mike Wright or uh, some other relievers. So first things first, uh, Zach, you put out the uh, – top 15 prospects uh, for the Orioles system uh, earlier this week. And uh, to no surprise, um, I'm just going to run through these guys, the top 15, and then we'll come back to you with um, uh, where you can hit on a couple of the guys uh, that you want to talk about. Uh, the number one guy is Chance Cisco, uh, currently at Double A, Bowie. Hunter Harvey, who's injured. Trey Mancini, who's at Norfolk. Uh, Yomar Reyes uh, at Frederick, our third baseman. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle at Delmarva. Chris Lee at Bowie, David Hess at Bowie, DJ Stewart at Delmarva. Uh, number nine is Jonah Heim, the catcher at Frederick. Uh, rounding out the top ten is Tanner Scott, the hard-throwing lefty who's at Frederick. Uh, Eleven, Ofelki Peralta at Delmarva. Christian Walker at Norfolk. Gray Finter, who is injured, uh, which I think he could probably be um, – Delmarva, but regardless, he had Tommy John surgery. Jason Garcia, who's doing the hybrid role at Bowie. And rounding out the list, uh, right-handed pitcher Lazaro Lavaya, uh, who's in extended spring training. So, Zach, uh, you put together this list. You and I have seen a lot of these guys. Who do you want to hit on uh, that you, you may have not have written a lot about? Well, I'll start right at the top with Cisco because he, you know, for all of the sort of negatives that have kind of played out in the farm system this year, he really has been a positive. Uh, not only is he continuing to hit for average and get on base, but his defense is improving a little bit. Um, as I said in, in my report, I don't think it's at all out of the realm of possibility that he's the Orioles every day starting catcher uh, either sometime in 2017 or 2018. Um, but then moving a little bit further down the list, uh, I did see Tanner Scott on Wednesday night uh, in Frederick. The stuff is unbelievably good. Um, he can throw high 90s with ease, but the control right now just isn't there, and uh, the mechanics for me need to be tweaked a little bit. Mainly, he comes too far across his body when he's pitching. 
Um, the one thing I did notice, and this is something you can probably speak to a little bit as well, the way his fastball moves sometimes, it kind of goes up and away on lefties. And lefties seem to have a much harder time picking it up, at least in the sample that I saw. The lefties seem to have a much harder time picking up his stuff than the right-handers. Yeah, and I know we've talked a lot about him uh, on the website, whether it be in the boards um, or the articles. But like like you said, we, we've both seen him uh, hit 99, 98, 100. Um yeah, the control is the biggest issue now because really, I, I I think and I put in when I saw him earlier in the season, I think he was doing too or trying to do too much, whether it be you know strike out all three hitters in an inning. But you know, one of the I guess positive things you can take away from that is when guys are putting contact on it, it's not hard contact, at least in the outings I've seen. But um, surely the the stuff is there. I mean, even if he can get that slider to average, um, that's a huge plus for him with that that big fastball. Exactly, and if, if he could eventually become the type of pitcher that is able to find deception to hitters on both sides of the plate, you might be looking at another Zach Britton type where you have a lefty who just comes in, save games, high-leverage situations, and he's not stuck to that movie role. All right, so that's the top 15 prospects, and obviously you can check that out on the website and also get on the board, um, tell Zach you don't agree with it or – Tell him you agree with it. Um, <laughs> on the Baltimore Sports uh, uh, Life Board, there we have. Um, that's where really all the comments go. Lots of discussion there, not just for Orioles, but for um, you know pretty much everything Maryland-related sports. So moving on, um, this is a hot topic, I guess. We've talked about it a lot, whether again be in articles or the boards, but the lack of the talent in the system. Um, Zach, you know we, we've got scouting, development to catch. Um, and then even on the international front, where do you see, I, I guess, where's the biggest downfall with the, the, the lack of talent? Because you look at somebody like Boston, they go out and they spend a ton of money on international um, free agents. And also you've got people like the Tampa Bay Rays who draft a lot of great players, whether it be because of poor performance or just they really do their homework. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this for a while now and, with the Orioles, I don't know that it's any one thing because you could go up to ownership with sort of the reluctance to invest in international spending. And for a while, there was a reluctance to spend in the draft. That has sort of changed somewhat over the years with investments in players like Dylan Bundy. But for a long time there, there was really not a whole lot coming out of the draft. Um, but then you also look at the scouting and I feel like the Orioles tend to draft a lot of the same types of players. And maybe some of this falls on player development for not, you know, let's say taking a pitcher that has a good fastball with sprint secondary stuff and not making the fringe secondary stuff better. But I feel like I, this hit me as I was doing the list. There's not a ton of separation in terms of ability with these prospects and in terms of what their ceilings are. And, when you start seeing that in a system that's, you know, probably 25th to 30th among baseball organizations, it's alarming. And and my quick hit on this is if you look at international, the international has not been good. Uh, you took off at Henry Arrieta and Darryl Alvarez. Uh, those are guys that are org players at this point. I think we have to agree, especially with Arrieta coming back to Bowie. Um, there's, that there's not much hope there. I mean, 
true, they didn't spend the Yoan Mankata money that Boston did, but, you know, if you're investing in a guy like that, you want to get something out of him besides, you know, a couple games in the big leagues and then ultimately being reassigned to Bowie. Whether, and I think that is tied directly to the scouting. I think whoever's doing the scouting, um, whether it be um, in Latin America or, uh, you know, as this case we saw with Kim, uh, in Japan, I mean, obviously Kim is on fire right now and he's going to be your everyday left fielder, but you know, I, I think maybe the hype was way up on him coming in, coming, you know, coming to America. Um, and then the other, uh, comment I have is, you know, uh, I, I think it's a development issue. I think Rick Peterson, um, who's with the Orioles as their pitching coordinator, uh, to put it plainly, I think he tries to change too much. I mean, we've seen it with, um, I, I don't think you can point Jake Arrieta to that, but we've seen it with Dylan Bundy where you're taking a guy who has a really good pitch and telling him he can't throw it anymore. Um, and then you also have got a, a guy that will change mechanics on young players and as opposed to just letting them go out and pitch. Yeah, and I've always been really leery when I hear of pitching coordinators coming in and really trying to do too much of the mechanics, especially right out of the draft or right in that first season. I've always thought it's better just to let the pitcher try, give him a little bit, little bit of breathing room. Um, and the Orioles, to this point, especially with high school picks, have not done that. Yeah. Moving on, uh, the trading deadline uh, is the end of July, but obviously um, the Orioles are still very much in it, uh, and I, I believe they're in first place after last night's win and. Um, uh, Boston's loss. Uh, so they're going to need to address the starting rotation. That's been the biggest question mark to start the season. And it's the biggest question mark going now with the exception of even, uh, I guess you could say a Chris Toman or Kevin Gosman. Um, it's really a toss up um, of guys that are filling in there. Uh, what are the ramifications of possibly trading? Um, we talked about a thin system, a weak system for a potential um a starting pitcher. I mean, obviously I, I think one of the bigger names in that Orioles organization is going to be Trey Mancini. We've talked about Trey Mancini. We know that he's pretty much a first baseman DH, but with Chris Davis locked up there, um, you know, the Orioles would only bring him up in, if there's an injury or if they need a DH, which they probably don't with Trumbo there. So is that a guy that's likely going to be traded when it's all said and done? I would say yes. If you're going to look out of that top 10, that's the most likely trade candidate given his proximity to the majors. The fact that he's blocked right now by Chris Davis and is blocked for the foreseeable future. Not to mention that the Orioles have not taken a step to this point to look at him as an outfielder, which both you and I have said probably wouldn't work out anyhow. So yes. I feel like Mancini would be the most logical name. Um, and then beyond that, I don't know what you would look at. I'm sure teams are going to ask about San Francisco. I don't see him going anywhere. Um, I'm sure teams will be asking about Chris Lee. I'm sure that you will hear, you know, you can even look at a Tanner Scott or someone along those lines. If an organization thinks that they can make one quick change and get good value, they're going to go after a player like that. But the Orioles are pretty, pretty limited in what they can pick up. I wanted to throw this in there because this is a good article to check out if you go on Baltimore Sports in Life today. Paul Spore uh, wrote a piece about the starters the Orioles could trade for, and he does a pretty good job pointing out where some of the weaknesses in the farm system are going to come into play as far as who they can pick up. Um, 
and I he puts this right at the top of the article, and I agree with it. Someone along the lines of a Julio Tehran is going to be way out of the Orioles' reach. Yeah, yeah, and the article Zach's talking about, uh, Paul Spore, I believe, uh, you know, talks about uh, three potential um, guys, and then additionally, uh, just to run over their names, uh, Zach mentioned um, Julio Tehran, which is obviously going to be a huge piece for every team. You're looking at probably all 30 teams trying to get on there at least. Uh, James Shields, which I know has been talked about uh, a ton, him and Andrew Kashner from the Padres. Um, Rich Hill uh, with the Oakland Athletics could be on the move. But, that, again, that's probably going to be a guy that a lot of teams with a deeper uh, system are going to go after. And uh, Jeremy Hellickson of the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, and of, go ahead. No, I was going to go ahead. What, what did you have? I was just saying that of that list, I would probably lean towards Hellickson or Hill if you're going to trade for somebody. Um, Hellickson has been pretty bad over the last few years, which scares me a little bit. But that is someone who's pitched in the division before, at least, even if it was sort of a mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, at this point, the Orioles rotation, the starting rotation in the big leagues, I mean, you know, Mike Wright seems to be destined for the bullpen. Um, there's no real way to put that. I mean, he's up there now. Um, you also have the addition of Giovanni Gallardo, who I saw in his rehab start and was not very good. Um, you know, I think he topped out at 90 once, but he's he's going to come back and be the same pitcher that he was at the beginning of the season. I mean, he's just, you know, uh, to put it simple, that deal was not very good, and you're kind of stuck with him now. Um, but I think you're going to see Mike Wright in the bullpen. Tyler Wilson – um, although it doesn't have, you know, the electric fastball seems to be holding his own. At least you're looking for a guy who can get you five or six innings and then get to the bullpen at Gibbons, uh, Darren O'Day when he comes back, and then ultimately um, Brad Brock and uh, uh, Zach Britton. So uh, you don't need a guy – you don't need, a, I guess, quote-unquote ace, but you need someone that can, you know, at least keep in the ball game for five or six innings. All right, uh, Zach, we got the June draft coming up, uh, I think, a little bit uh, under a week or, or so or maybe less. Um, what Have you checked? What are the Orioles going to do? We know they have a compensation pick at 27 uh, overall coming for Wai Ying Chen, who, went, who signed with the Marlins over the offseason, and then they have a second-round pick at uh, number 54, and then I think a, 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 another pick at – maybe in the 60, 69, 70 area. So uh, three picks within, you know, the top 75 overall. What what do you think in the Orioles are leaning? Well, there, there's been some reports out there, and I'm glad to hear this, that they're going to go for the best player. Because I think when your system is in the state that the Orioles system is in, you don't really pick over positions at that point. You go for the best option you can get. Eric Lawler at Kent State is a name that's been thrown around a good bit, a left-handed pitcher. They've also been linked to a couple of high school hitters, including Nolan Jones at Holy Ghost Prep in Pennsylvania, a high school shortstop, which would be an interesting pick for them, given that they do have Machado in the big league now. But I think planning at that position, if you can stick at shortstop, would not be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I've seen uh, I've seen the pick at twenty seven linked to a couple college pitchers, which I think I think it's a good idea just because the Orioles, whatever reason it be, does not they don't seem to have very good uh, good luck or good progress developing high school pitchers. I mean, you know, Hunter Harvey's still out here, but he hasn't pitched what in a year and a half, two years. Um, Dylan Bundy, we can see what that is. You know, he's in the majors only because of his contract. 
So um, it's good to see maybe they can get a college pitcher who's already went through the growing pains of developing and somebody that they can bring in, you know, and put in high A and double A without having to worry about injury concerns. Yeah, and where I look at Lawler specifically, and one reason I kind of favor him right now is that he doesn't necessarily, you know, he's not going to come in throwing mid-90s, but there's a little bit more polish there than what the types of pitchers the Orioles have been drafting over the last few years, and that might be a good change of pace for the system to get him in. Uh, Maybe if he would get drafted and sign, have him go to Delmarva or Aberdeen and then start gradually moving him up from there, and hopefully he can be someone that moves quick. Yeah, and, you know, the college pitchers, the the most recent that comes to mind that they've had success with is David Hess. I mean, he was a guy that went to a, a smaller school uh, in Tennessee, but he came out, um, you know, and he didn't throw. He, he can touch 95 or 96, but he's typically sitting 92, 93. Um, he, he had already had, you know, he had uh, essentially four pitches, three or four pitches, and now he's just working on honing that. But that's a good uh, success story um, for the Orioles. Yeah, it has been, and it's, it's good to see that David Hess is working out, and I think even Tyler Wilson, to some extent, has been oh, a success yeah. story. If he, can yeah. keep, if he can keep doing what he's doing in the major leagues right now, I'm not sure that just based on experience that he'll still be in the rotation come mid to late September, but for what he's done over the first uh, two months plus, has been pretty good, especially for someone that we weren't necessarily sure had the ceiling of a major league starter. Yeah, and uh, just to, you know, hit on the big league club, I mean, this is something I think that everybody who follows baseball knew. The Orioles were going to be in these games and winning them, you know, 9-8, 10-8. You don't see a lot of guys that are going to come in and throw seven shutout innings. You don't have a stopper. But as long as they can get, you know, the five, I, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, five good innings from a starter at this point with this rotation is pretty damn good um, to to keep the Orioles in the game, especially when you have a bullpen that's, that's really good. Uh, You know, we talked about Gibbons and Brock and then um, O'Day when he comes back off the disabled list and Britain again, I mean, you know, those guys can give you the three or four shutdown innings uh, that you don't have to worry about. And that's, you know, that's what they did in 2014 essentially. And if that formula sticks again this year, they probably will make the postseason, but I still think in, this goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show. They're still going to need another starter. But if this oh, formula yeah. that it was there two years ago can stick, they're in good shape. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, with the exception, I, I would say of Tillman and Gosman, I mean, unless you can think of somebody else, I mean, you've got a Baldo who comes in and – Nobody really knows what you're going to get with that. I mean, against the Red Sox, he was great for, you know, four innings and then just completely melted down um, his last start. So um, Mike Wright has had, I I would say, subpar results. I mean, he's good for an inning or two and then just seems to, once the lineup gets back up against him. But I think think you've even talked about this in prior podcasts that he's probably a guy that's more destined for the bullpen than anything. So, um, you know, they certainly do need that – that third starter that can, you know, if, if you talk about the playoffs in a division series, you know, if you can have three good starters and, you know, the other two are subpar, but a really good bullpen, you can do, you can go far with that, especially with this offense. Exactly. Yeah. And going, touching on real quick, Mike, right. It's you, you saw him in the minor leagues coming up and then I saw him as well. I thought for a few years that the bullpen's his most likely role. And I still think he could succeed. 
but and I wrote about this a few weeks ago about the possibility of sending him, sending him down. The one issue right now would probably be that until Gallardo comes back, you don't necessarily have the breathing room to go in and say, all right, we're going to take Mike Wright, who has been in the major league rotation and struggling, but he's at least someone who can take the ball every five days and send him down. I wish the Orioles were in a position to be able to do that, but I don't know if they are right now. No, I, I agree with that. I think it's kind of a, uh, I guess you could say a mess right now because they really don't know who they can lean on um, overall. So, well, that pretty much does it for this show. Uh, stay tuned for episode four. We'll hit you probably in the next week or two. Uh, be sure to check out the website, baltimoresportsandlife.com. Like us on Facebook, and also you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, tons of articles going up from the various uh, great Orioles writers uh, every week. And then also join the forum where you can comment and weigh in on uh, what you think about the Orioles uh, in this season. So uh, I'm Reggie Yinger, uh, the host uh, of the show, and Zach, uh, my co-host there, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.